Welcome to A Strong Woman for Strong Women with Erica Cummings, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management. In this podcast, we help busy, high-achieving women overcome the financial stresses that can impact your health, wealth, and happiness. Join Erica as she explores ways you can create a healthy balance of financial wellness and replace limiting beliefs and bad habits to harmonize your journey toward total emotional and financial wellness. Let's get started. A trusted financial advocate can give you the peace of mind to make wise, thoughtful decisions on money and life situations. There are key questions you can ask when looking for that individual. Welcome back to Erica Cummings' podcast, A Strong Woman for Strong Women. I'm Patrice Sikora. Erica is a financial advisor with the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management. And while I know you're going to outline questions women should ask a potential advisor, Erica, first, I'd like to ask you to explain how this relationship goes beyond dollars. Sure, Patrice. Just as no two people are ever the same, neither is anybody's financial situation. We all have different relationships with our money. We have different money mindsets. We have different experiences that we've had. And your net worth isn't a direct indicator of your attitude about your financial life. So with all these different ways of dealing with money, it makes perfect sense that most financial advisors would be different as well. As such, they can make the task of finding, it can make it a little bit more confusing for you to find the right advisor because you really want to make sure this is somebody who you're hoping to have a a long-term relationship with that's going to have your best interest at heart. And so like any other relationship, it's, it's going to be one that you want to put a lot of time and thought into. So how do you find the best one to suit your needs? And what if you don't necessarily even know what those needs really are? So what if you don't know what you should be asking? I think that's key. You don't even know necessarily what your needs are. Right, exactly. And I've seen firsthand how a healthy relationship between your money and your priorities can make a huge impact on your life. So finding that right professional to help you manage your money in a healthy and impactful way is really crucial. Because money itself isn't the key to freedom building an awareness of your values and your priorities and a willingness to use that money as a tool to advance those values and priorities. That's what really opens the doors to a whole new world of possibility. That balance that we've talked about in previous episodes where everything is in line and your money is working for you and it is not the predominant thing that you're looking at all the time. You want it to be a tool to help you move all parts of your life forward. So where do you start looking? I mean, what should you start to consider? You say this is going to be a long-term relationship. You hope it will be anyway. anyway. How do these people get to know you? So an outside perspective on your financial situation can be invaluable. And that's what a good financial advisor can really help with. You want to find someone who is going to serve as a sounding board during major life and financial events. So I've said before, life is filled with critical financial events. And there's also just those smaller, though no less important occasions that you want to make sure you have somebody that you can talk to. I have clients that have called me up about whether or not they should lease or purchase a car. I've had clients call me up about whether or not they should move from one cable company to another. So 
<laughs> these are, there's all kinds of questions that are going to come up throughout your life and you, you want to have a good sounding board and navigating these financial decisions requires far more than just that soft, this, you know, that software, that sophisticated mathematical software. It's about understanding your life and your money and how the two intersect. So again, that balance, it's about imagining your possibilities and raising your awareness of how to realize them. Life can't be boiled down to charts and graphs and reports. So you want to make sure in this effort to find that advisor where a real meaningful relationship is developed. So in order to make sure you find the right person to fill this important role in your life, you need to make sure you're asking the right questions. And you may think that what's most important, because most people, when they think of money or they think of investing, it's all about how am I going to make this money grow? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But there's so much more that you need to know. And that's what we're going to discuss today is how to outline the key questions that you should be asking when you're sitting down with a financial advisor for the first time. You need, of course, to like them and you need to feel that you can trust them. And that's how you can build that long-term relationship. A little digression here. Yeah. When you sit down to ask these questions, is the financial advisor going to resent your asking these questions? I don't think so. And I think that if that is the case, that should be, that should be a, a red flag. I think that if, if someone is dedicated to their profession and any profession and they're proud of what they do and they know that they're there in, in, good, in good feelings and want to help you, then they should be more than happy to be forthcoming with any answers to any questions. The one thing you don't ever wanna feel when you are in any situation talking to a doctor, talking to anybody that's going to be taking care of some part of you is that you feel uncomfortable asking questions. There's no dumb questions and there should be nothing that you should feel shame about asking. And so I think that any good financial advisor would be more than happy to answer these questions. And I think for women, it's really hard to ask, you know, hard questions. It is. And it's hard because women have a, we, we don't want to make a person feel bad. We don't want to feel like we are putting them on the spot or we're questioning their integrity or whether or not their, their expertise is in line. And I think also because of the past and the decades and decades of the financial industry and the way that information has been disseminated to the public, it is definitely more user-friendly to males over the years. And that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is have it so that women understand that this is not as complicated as it's made out to be, and that you should feel very, very comfortable asking any questions at any time. And that's why I think this is really important because you should feel with whoever that you decide to work with that you can ask anything at any time. Well, let's start with the question, credentials. Tell me about that. Yeah, so one of the things I, I, I think is a big one is what's your credentials or what advisory certificates do you have? So when you ask a question and you sit down with a, an advisor, you may, they, you may say, you know, what do you do? And oftentimes you hear, I specialize in retirement planning or I specialize in financial planning. Here's where you wanna ask a little bit more of a specific answer or you wanna hear more of a specific answer. When it comes to a financial advisor, credentials do matter. Those fancy letters after the advisor's name truly proves that they've dedicated a lot of time to mastering their profession. For example, I'm a CFP, which stands for Certified Financial Planner. 
This is a well-regarded certification. It's awarded by the CFP board to individuals that have met rigorous educational testing and ethical standards. So the education part is individuals have to complete a comprehensive course of study that's approved at a college or a university, and it covers a multitude of planning topics, of financial planning topics, including investments, estate planning, insurance, income tax planning, wealth transfer strategies, risk management, retirement planning, employee benefits. Oh, okay. Yes, and wealth management planning. Yes, it was a lot, trust me. (laughs) And once you're done with the coursework, an individual then has to, I had to pass a two-day, 10-hour examination that's comprehensive on what could be you know, a year to two years worth of coursework and their ability to apply that knowledge to real life situations. And incidentally, the test is considered one of the most difficult in the industry with only a 55 to 60% passing rate. So it is not easy. And I say that this is important because not only can these designations make the advisor better at what they do, but it also shows the dedication to what they're doing. When I was studying for this exam and studying to to receive the CFP, that was time away from my family. That was time that I had to set aside on top of work in order to do this. So it really does show that a person cares about what they're doing and they want to become the best version of an advisor that they can. And you said there's also an ethics portion of this. Yes, that's a key component here. So beyond just the education and obtaining the actual designation, CFPs have to adhere to a strict code of ethics. This is upholding principles of integrity, objectivity, confidence, fairness, confidentiality, professionalism, and diligence when providing financial planning services to others. And these standards are closely monitored by the CFP board and violations can result in complete revocation of the designation. And yeah, and this can be a benefit to you as a client. So as a client, when you're working with a CFP, you know that that person has certain attributes and these are the things that you can expect from them. You can expect their being well-versed in developing integrated wealth management plans. You can expect a robust theoretical and practical knowledge of investment products and services. You can expect unwavering commitment to the highest of ethics and a steadfast commitment to putting your interests first. There are also other types of designations out there. There's plenty of them. Now, are there, are there certificates as well, other advisor certificates? Yes, there, there are plenty of them out there. And so what you want to do is your research. You want to see what level of, of expertise they have. And mm-hmm. advisor certificates can be a really good indicator of their level of expertise. So it's a great question to ask at the start. Um, another one is you may want to just ask, and this kind of goes in, in line with the credentials, is how long they've actually been working directly with clients. I started out when I was 26, so by no means am I putting any younger advisor um, down in any way. But real life experience also becomes an important way to gauge an advisor's proficiency. So I've been working with clients for 20 years. That has allowed me the opportunity to work with hundreds of clients with a wide variety of needs. And it really does enhance my overall experience because I've had that on the job conversation. I've seen the different situations and I'm able to parlay what I've experienced in the past with clients to what I may experience in the future. All right. Now you've found people, you're interviewing them. The big question I think for everyone is not just, well, what have you done and and what certifications do you have, but how much am I going to pay you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So 
one of the questions you should ask is how are you compensated for your services? And this is, there's a wide range of ways that advisors can, can quote unquote charge clients. You want to decide which payment methods you prefer and what's going to work for your particular situation. And this may have to do with your age. It may have to do with the amount of work that you need to have done. So if you're young and you're working and you're, the bulk of your savings and the bulk of what you're doing is within your, your company's 401k, you may not need extensive wealth management consulting at that point. But definitely when you get to retirement and you're looking at how to parlay all these years of savings into reliable income for the rest of your life, this is where you may want more comprehensive wealth management. So you want to ask, how are you going to be paying that advisor? Is it a flat fee? Is it a fee for advice? Are they fee only? Are they fee based? Are there transaction costs? There's a lot of different options out there. And ultimately, you want to know exactly how your, your advisor is being compensated and what it's going to cost you. And there should be no reason why that advisor can't answer that question. Um, it is, we have all kinds of information out there nowadays to allow you to know what you're paying. And just like anything else, there's no right answer to this. So think of when you're getting an estimate to have your roof repaired, you're going to get several estimates and you're going to use that price as a, as a portion of why you decide to work with that particular individual, but it's not necessarily the only reason. So keep in mind that these are all questions that, you know, all together will com comprise how you go about selecting that advisor. But another huge component that you really have to think about if you're going to be working with this person for any length of time is the philosophy and how they approach money. Yes. So you, you want to understand the approach of someone counseling you about, you know, everything that you do in life. So if you were to go and consult a business coach, or if you were going to seek out a therapist for your marriage, one of the things you want to ask them is how do you, how do you do what you do? So right. what will I be experiencing when I'm working with you? And what is your philosophy? If, you know, someone's philosophy is, you know, we really want you to bear your heart and soul if you're working with a, with a therapist and you may not really feel as if that's exactly what you want to do, then that may not be a good fit. So you should also be familiar with the approach of the person that's advising you on your financial life. So how do they select specific investments to recommend? Do they primarily recommend stocks or funds? How often do they recommend rebalancing a portfolio? You know, these are all important questions because you want to make sure that you know, to me, every single person should be seeking the ultimate amount of education possible, especially when it comes to your money. And I, I always put it in this, in the manner of health. If I am having a procedure or if I'm taking my children to the doctor and something is going to happen, I want to understand, now I'm not asking to be a medical profession. So I want it to be in, in regular language, but I want to know what either I or my family member is going to experience and why they're choosing a particular course of action. And this is the exact same thing when it comes to your, to your finances. You want to know what, what their approach is, why they're choosing a certain way, and 
what makes them different so that you can then have more, the more education you have about how they're doing, what they're doing, the better off you'll be in ultimately deciding on, on which advisor to go with. Does this mean you want to find someone who specializes? Yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. You know, many advisors focus on lots of clients and there are some that just focus on working with small businesses or they just focus on providing 401k plans. These are, there are people that are, they work with a variety of clients and then there are some that specialize in certain categories for certain people. So for example, in our situation, we're kind of a blend. So we've had the pleasure of working with hundreds of families, but we have a particular kind of specialty in working with women. And we know as women, and we've talked about this before, high achieving women, we surround ourselves with the people that we care about. And we want to make sure that they're taken care of as well. So we have male clients, we have female clients, we have young clients, we have older clients, but we do specialize in helping those high achieving women identify that balance and success in their financial lives. And I find that the reason we gravitate towards that and the reason we're so good at it is because we're, we are literally the embodiment of the very clients that we're helping. So I'm in my mid forties. I have two kids, Lynn, my partner, she's the same way. Uh, we have spouses, we have parents and we all come along as one big package. And so when we work with these women, we are also helping their families along the way. And it's usually a plan that's always built together. And a lot of times their parents will come on board and their children as they get older. So we want to make sure we're, we're educating the whole family and that they're all prepared for the future. But we, gener we generally do kind of gravitate towards working with the, the, those high achieving kind of super women, I call them. All right. And then the services you provide, as you say, it, it can be all inclusive. Family is involved here. And you also have your binder process, which we did talk about in a previous episode. Yeah. So this is where you want to ask what services does the advisor actually provide? So you have obviously their credentials, you have their experience, you have their investment philosophy, but what, what services are they going to be providing for you? And in this case, again, wide variety here. So you may have some that they're strictly just, they just want to work with your investments or they just do 401ks. So you want to ask them what what exactly do you do? So a financial advisor may provide estate planning. They may help with college planning. They have strategies to get out of debt. They may provide life insurance if they're licensed, education planning, investment management, so much more. So for example, estate planning, or if we're going to talk to them about any type of tax sensitive investment strategies, we want to involve their outside advisors as well. So I certainly am not a, an attorney. So when it comes to, I will say, I believe you should be talking to an estate planning attorney, but we are looking at the big picture because any part of your financial life, if you look at those big categories, so you have your investments, you have your insurance, you have your estate plan at different points in time in your life, these things become more or less important. So for example, life insurance is really critical when you are younger, you have a mortgage, your income is really important to your family. And at that point, your investments may not be as important because you just don't have a lot of them when you're younger. So your life insurance is, is critical if something was to happen to you, disability insurance, those types of things. So you want to see, okay, does this person just work in one specific area? 
And if so, okay, well, that may be what I want, but I'm going to have to make sure I find someone else that works in the other area. Or do I want to work with someone who's going to look at the whole picture? So you want to make sure that that, that advisor that you choose is in line with what you think your needs are now and also what your future needs will be down the road. Let's roll the next two questions in together because they mm -hmm. both have to do with time and getting together and meeting. Is there yeah. a cardinal rule for how often you should meet with your advisor or how often you should just hear from them? There's not a cardinal rule, but one thing I will say after 20 years and many, many surveys and research that I've done is that one of the biggest complaints that clients have is that they don't hear from their advisor enough. Right. So, and this ties into women, I think a lot, because as you mentioned earlier, women sometimes don't feel comfortable coming forward with a question. And that's one of the things that, that just bothers me is thinking about a, a woman or any client sitting at home with a question that is remotely keeping them up at night and they don't feel comfortable proactively calling. And if the advisor is not calling, then that person is sitting in this uncomfortable, perhaps nervous, scared space for an extended period of time. So you want to make sure that you know what the level of communication is going to be. Many advisors do have a general rule and they'll say how often they meet with clients. So it might be annually, it could be semi-annually, quarterly. And then of course, there's usually, there's supplemental meetings along the way. So in our case, a lot of times we'll meet, and of course not in the past year, but right. we usually meet in person, uh, you know, at least once a year. We have events throughout the year when we could in person where we provide education to as a whole groups, but we have those in-person meetings at least once a year. But when we start to get to some of those critical financial events, so for example, as a client approaches retirement and there's all these different decisions to make, there may be far more meetings at that point in time. Or if something happens in their family, so someone passes away, there's an inheritance. These are times when we, you know, you have to kind of go off the script, so right. to speak. And most good advisors are happy to oblige in these situations. So you want to make sure you choose an advisor whose schedule works for you. You don't want someone who seems overbearing. So I've had clients say, I don't need all these emails, Erica, or you don't need to call me that often. You want it to be a discussion where everyone's in agreement. And, you know, maybe if you are, are good and you don't want to be contacted that often, you want someone who's maybe a little bit more hands-off, but then you also may want to make sure that they don't forget that you're even right. there. Right. Right. So th that kind of leads into as well, in terms of kind of that there's, there's what I call um, active and passive communication. So active communication to me is I'm calling you, we're meeting, it's one-on-one, -on -one, we're having discussions about your personal situation. And it's far more, uh, obviously more intimate and we're discussing the things that are specific to your situation. Mm -hmm. Then there's what we would consider kind of passive communication. So this is another part of what you would ask. You know, how often do you send out any type of emails? Do you have any type of monthly meetings? Do you have educational seminars for your clients? Do you have luncheons? You know, any, any type of event. So things like that, that go beyond just the meetings. And you want to see how often they're going to be what I call actively reaching out. So passive is 
in our case, RBC has a great white paper on the market. We send it out. It goes out to everybody. It's not specific to their situation. Active would be more, I call you up. Right. And I say to you, this is something I think you should consider doing. So when you're talking to, the, to that advisor, you may ask them, you know, how, how many times you're going to actively reach out to me and what are some of the information that I'll get kind of on the sidelines. And if you know upfront and you're comfortable with it, then it's great for both of you because nobody is going to be surprised if there's, you know, however the communication was agreed upon. All right. Now I'm interviewing someone and I think I like them. They seem very nice. They're answering my questions and I'm, I'm getting a good feeling, but can I ask for a reference to find out how their clients feel about them? I mean, I think so. This is something that certainly as advisors, we live in a very compliant world. So you want to make sure that this is something that your legal department is okay with, but you want to make sure that you know how you're going to be working with them and, you know, what do their clients like about working with that advisor? You know, the best way, I mean, think of, think of when you are looking for a hairdresser or you're looking for an accountant, usually the first person you ask is a friend or, you know, you want to look for reviews and you want to see what other people's experiences have been. So it is oftentimes a great way to do so is by asking for some type of reference. And that advisor would just have to obviously make sure it's okay with their legal department and that the client who's talking to them is willing. And then they can have a, a kind of a private dialogue. And I think it does give you at least a, an inside view of what being a client with that advisor might feel like. Now, this is a huge, big question I'm going to ask next. Mm -hmm. in, in a consolidated form, tell me, how do you measure success with your clients? This is a really important one. This to me is where the advisor and the client relationship needs to be aligned and defined in the beginning, because you can have what we would consider to be objective performance or subjective performance. And I'll talk about that in a second, but this is where you can end up down the road suddenly on both sides, the advisor thinking that they were providing the service that they talked about, and that's not what the client wants, or the client believing that they were going to be taken care of in a certain way, and it's not happening. So there's lots of ways for advisors to measure success, both monetarily and through their client's total satisfaction with the experience they're having. So a few examples are clients' ability to achieve their goals, how clients feel about their money, the communication that they're getting, how much money they made or lost over a year, or the returns. All of these are definitely different. And you want the advisor to be able to provide an answer that can explain to you so that you can choose a particular method. So in our case, we believe our relationships definitely involve the mechanical aspects of investing and the mechanical aspects of wealth management, which everybody typically thinks about. You know, what investments should I choose? I want to retire at X point in time and I want to be able to spend X amount of money. What investment should I be choosing in order to get there? Yeah, A plus B equals C. Exactly. And in our opinion, it is much more about the emotional aspects of investing because that's the bigger risk that most people face over time. And just the word risk has so many different meanings to so many different people. It's not something that is well understood. And it's definitely not something that's kind of well-defined. 
in terms of the financial world. So by definition, we can, we can go into the encyclopedia and by definition and, um, or the dictionary and, it, and technically it means it's the possibility of loss, damage, or injury. That's, that's the definition mm -hmm. of risk. Technically you and I are at risk right now. Anything can happen. And we may not know what that might be. So we have natural disasters that happen. We have things that happen, you know, in our personal lives that we didn't plan for. To me, when we think about it in our finances, financially, there are things that we know are risks, like mm -hmm. investing in something that sounds too good to be true or not saving enough or, you know, just knowing that you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, putting all your eggs in one basket or, right. you know, whatever it might be. And then there are things that we don't know are risks. And those things, unfortunately, present themselves at the most inconvenient times. And we don't realize the exposure we have until we look at it in retrospect. So it's after the fact, we look back and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that I was at risk of doing that. And sometimes it's really difficult to fix. So in our opinion, and this is where you really want to understand how the advisor approaches their measure of success for their client. In our opinion, parts of that wealth plan that we put together for our clients absolutely involve math. It's probability, it's arithmetic, it's mm -hmm. just a discipline that we have to overlay on what that client does. And it's very mechanical on paper. So we can put together a black and white projection that has certain probabilities of your success. And quite frankly, it's far less complex than most people would have you believe. And especially this is important for women, that the mathematical part of it is not that hard. The problem is the discipline to execute it. It's in the emotions that you are inevitably going to feel as you see things happen in the future, whether it's in the markets, whether it's what you're hearing in the media, from your family members, your coworkers, it's basically all that noise around you that's going to deter you from just going back to the math. Right. Because right. we are emotional beings. That's how we work. So how do you take that out of the equation? You don't. And that's why we're here. So we, <laughs> as a financial advisor, you know, I consider my role to be more of a behavioral manager of people's emotional responses to a certain set of external events. So things that are happening around us, it may be something like what we've experienced over the past year with COVID. So February of last year, we started to really see the pandemic rise at a level that nobody I think anticipated. And then the markets obviously reacted to what was going on. And, and, not well. and no, not, not well at all. The, the quickest bear market in history, quite frankly. And this happens in any bear market or correction that we're sitting back, we're human beings, this is our life savings. And in the case with COVID, it was also our own personal health, our family's health, just our, our whole society as, as, as a whole, we were looking and saying, we've never, we've never seen or felt anything like this. And that also may be blended into other things that are happening to you personally. So there's people out there that were watching COVID happen. Then all of a sudden, maybe they lost their jobs or one of their children lost their jobs. And then on top of it, that means they lose their health insurance, or maybe somebody did get sick in their family or heaven forbid something, um, you know, happened to them and they passed away. So all of these things are happening at once. And now you're left with a very vulnerable person who 
is looking for some way to control something. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we, that we do is we look at our money, we look at our investments and we listen to the media and we listen to our friends and all the negativity that's out there. And we kind of move away from mathematical probabilities and all the things we talked about in the past. And we say, you know what, the, everyone's saying the world is ending. So I have to do something, just get me out, get me out so I can focus on everything else in my life. What we try to do and what we did do is say, okay, we knew in the beginning that you were here with this amount of money and these were the goals and the visions you had for your future. And you want to get to this point. You have a certain amount of time. You have a certain amount of assets. What's the best way to do that? That's that mathematical part. It's solvable. It has probability. The hard part is removing those emotions from the mechanics of investing and have something that you can consistently apply to yourself, which is self-correcting and kind of timeless. It's self-adjusting and that it balances itself. It, it balances itself away from that subjective performance. So I try to encourage my clients not to look at what's happening in the markets. Don't look at your investments in comparison to the S&P 500. Don't compare it to what your friends are doing. Don't compare it to what, you, what you're listening in the media. It should always be objective and relative to your life goals. We're not here to beat a certain benchmark. We're here to achieve what you want to achieve in your lifetime and do that while going through things like COVID, the 08, 09 crisis, mm -hmm. crises that you may be dealing with within your own family. So right away, when we start a relationship with a client, we say upfront, you've told us everything. We've discussed the outcomes that you like, whether it's retirement, discussing your estate plan, discussing how you want to plan for future generations. And we know we're going to have all these different critical events that are going to happen. Some we plan for and some we don't. And a bunch of unknowns are going to happen all along the way as it relates to your timeline. So we also need to be thinking when we're in a good place, how are we going to feel when we're not in a good place? And yes. what, how are you going to react? Because it's important to have that conversation up front so that we have something we can go back to. So we almost create a discipline in the beginning to talk about eventualities. And I don't know what they're going to look like. No, nobody, yeah, <laughs> yeah, nobody could have predicted COVID. But what I did talk to my clients about when they first came on board, whether it was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, was we are going to have bear markets. We are going to have geopolitical events. We are going to have, you know, different political parties that are going to come in and out of office. You're going to have things happen in your own personal life that may be extremely heartbreaking. How are you going to respond? How are we going to make sure that you are not going to literally have a meltdown and then just want to sell out? And now the plan is completely out the window. So we talk about those conversations upfront and say, when this happens, how are you going to feel? And how are we going to talk about it? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, depending on how long I've worked with clients, some of these things happen. And again, we really don't know for sure, but we do know that people do get sick and people do pass away and people lose their jobs. And it doesn't necessarily matter what the cause is. It's just, we know eventually these things probably will happen. And so when they do, we can almost reset. 
at that point in time. And we're able to have a discussion and reflect on our initial understanding. That initial understanding that this is where we are. And we talked about this spot and we knew this was likely gonna happen. And here's the data that we have in the past about how markets work and what we've been through in the past. And oftentimes that's helpful. And we had the discussion about how you were going to handle these things when everybody was cool, calm and collected. And let's not get off path because of what's happening right now. We need to push through and know that we're going to be fine. And again, understand that our number one objective is for you to achieve your goals, not for you to beat the market, not for you to outperform your friends or outperform your coworkers. It is that you have the life that you wanted. And that is our, that's our definition of success for our clients. When our clients are happily living their lives, being able to make the choices that they want and, and have had a vision, that's the most exciting part of what I do is 20 years ago, working with a client who was working and doing everything right. And then fast forward to when they're retiring and just seeing it all come to fruition, despite all these things that happened over the past 20 years. And so to me, that's the best thing that I can do as an advisor, especially when the markets are struggling or things are going on. So you want to have that conversation with that advisor upfront. And this is important for the advisor too, because if you're somebody who wants to outperform the S&P 500 and that advisor has the same philosophy as I do, that's not going to mix. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So the client's not going to be happy and the advisor is going to be like, whoa, this is not what we discussed. So you want to talk up front and we'll get these questions. You know, can I see how your clients have performed over the last few years? And I'll say it doesn't matter because their performance is relative to what they wanted to achieve in their life. So what it has, do you want to achieve in your life? Yes. Exactly. So they're completely opposite. So you want to make sure that you understand how that, how that advisor defines success. We've run out of time here, I'm afraid, but how can listeners reach you, Erica? Because I'm sure lots of people have lots of questions. Yes. So you can reach out to me at our website, harmonyfinancialwellness.com. You can also email me directly, erica.cummings at rbc.com. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn. And really one thing at the very end is we can have all these questions, but ultimately when you're sitting down with that advisor, you also want, you know, you feel it. Do you like them? Do you trust them? Are you comfortable talking to them? Are they actually listening to you? And do you think you can build that long-term relationship with them? That's equally as important as all those other questions we just talked about. And I think we're going to bring that up in another episode. I think we need to. Mm -hmm. Erica Cummings, financial advisor with the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management. Be sure to subscribe to Erica's a strong woman's for strong women podcast and that way you'll be able to be the first to know when a new episode is available also let friends know by sharing i'm patrice sakura and let's talk again later thank you for listening to a strong woman for strong women with erica cummings click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available the information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest as of the date of this recording, is subject to change without notice, and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or another qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE FINRA SIPC. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investments should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified professional service provider.